You know, what I'm seeing out in the world is a lot of fear and a growing amount of despair. Maybe you're feeling that way too, because the ways our culture has taught us to navigate the world, to navigate our lives, they are failing us. We need a new language. We need a new set of tools to find our way individually and as a group. And I know we can still do this. I put everything I do know about it into Wayfinder Life Coach Training. And the tools that I teach there are to help people redefine how we relate to each other, how we make a living, how we do community. We can only change the world for the better if we redefine how we think. And the world needs Wayfinders now more than ever. So please go to MarthaBeck.com and you'll find your way. Welcome to The Gathering Pod, the audio version of my weekly gathering room broadcast. I'm Martha Beck. Last week, I got a topic, well, I got a question that I didn't have time to answer. And the question was from Sarah. And the question said as follows, how might you advise staying connected with your vulnerability and still keeping good boundaries with others? Okay, so I saw that and I thought a lot of people have asked me that kind of thing. And I think I would like to do the whole gathering room on that. So thank you very much, Sarah. And I got to thinking about um, about how complex this is in the face of social media. Like we've all heard stories about people being bullied on social media, being slandered on social media. We've heard about the, the teen suicide rate has skyrocketed and it seems to be connected with the social dynamics on social media that um, that teenagers have always been getting into. I mean, ever since Romeo and Juliet, they were cursing each other and stabbing each other in the street and having sex and keeping it secret and all that. But the uh, the internet has made that a whole different thing and kids are being, they're being overly exposed. Their vulnerabilities are, um, are not being protected and therefore they can get deeply wounded, sometimes lethally wounded. Um, just by information, just by people trading information. But all of us live in this sort of, people know everything about us. I mean, people are always, you Google me and you will find things that are not in my experience. I will tell you that for free. And some of it's quite salacious, I guess. I don't know, I, I try not to go there. But I've sort of, I started out as a writer, well, I started out as a sociologist, but then my second book, my first book went, you didn't even make a boom. It just, um, but my second book was a memoir and it was very personal. You know, it's about pregnancy and my son and all my feelings and spirituality and whatnot. And from the moment you share your story with other people and they receive it graciously, as so many of you have, it's almost like you're in an, a relationship, an intimate relationship with hundreds of thousands, millions even of people. And it's weird. But we're all, you know, you might put up a blog that goes viral or you post a picture of yourself that 10,000 people see or, or, and they start to comment on it and it's like, whoa. Meanwhile, we all still run the old risks that have been part of the human lot forever and ever that we'll share part of ourselves with someone, we'll be vulnerable, we'll get stomped. Actually, I think everybody's had that experience. We shared something that was really personal. We opened our hearts to someone and we got stomped. Either we got rejected 
or betrayed, they went and told someone else or any number of things people do to mess up each other's lives. So most of you guys, I suspect most of you are highly sensitive people. I know some of you are, you've told me. And I, for what it's worth, I'm pretty sensitive. But I seem to draw highly sensitive people to myself. And and when you're highly sensitive and you open up to someone and you get stomped or you open up to the world and you get stomped, it could just be somebody catcalling you as you walk along the street. It can be so painful and frightening that you just close up like a sea anemone. You know, you're out there going, ooh, catching food, living fine, looking my best. And then someone hurts you and you're for the rest of your life. And then you open up a little bit. Now, here's the thing. If you were raised in a highly functional family where everyone shared appropriately and your parents sat and listened to the the, the deepest fears in your heart and, and encouraged you and never betrayed you, you probably went on in your life to make up, to make relationships with people similar to that. And so, yeah, you might've gotten your nose bumped and you've, had a few bruises. I mean, life is not easy for any of us, but you will probably, if you, if somebody's really radically horrible to you, you won't open up to them or you will simply avoid them forever. And they can find out what they want about you, but you won't have anything to do with them. That's an absolute boundary. What I often see is people who do one or the other. They're either completely open, completely vulnerable to everyone or when that doesn't work and it always gets you hurt one way or another, they close off completely. And I've had a lot of this kind of thing in my own life, in my own sordid past, where I would choose somebody who was fundamentally a little bit duplicitous. I've been writing about integrity versus duplicity being one person instead of two. I grew up in a very duplicitous environment. Um, for those of you who are Mormon, hi. Um, just so you know, I once taught sociology of Mormonism at the college level, and I found out through research that of all religions in America, Mormons have the widest split between what they say they believe and what they actually do. So what they, what they believe in their hearts and what they say they believe to the world. So it was a very sort of masked relationship, um, situation. Jung, Carl Jung, the great psychologist, talked about the mask that we present to the world versus the persona, which is who we really are. And he correctly wrote that we can have the mask on a lot of the time, but if you wear a mask through your whole life and no one knows the truth about you, the whole truth, um, you never feel connected. You never experience intimacy. You never experience warmth, love, belonging, which are fundamental to our psychological well-being. In fact, he said the unit of human survival at a biological level is one person. You know, you can you can survive in the wilderness if you're canny and strong. But the unit, the lowest number of people that it takes for a psychological survival is two. If you don't have someone else in your life who's sharing with you and connected with you and understands you, you you'll go crazy. You'll literally go crazy from isolation. So if you've been hurt by the world and you've come back and then you hear like Brene Brown does such great stuff on being vulnerable and being open and having hard conversations. But if you don't know how to do that, say you're not raised in a family that's really open and loving. Say you're raised in 
I don't know, an alcoholic family or um, just really dysfunctional in some other way. You trust the wrong people, you get hurt over and over, and then you tend to like withdraw completely. So if you've had this kind of experience, you still need love. We all need love. We all need connection. So you're going to have to open up to someone to feel connected. But as Sarah so rightly said, there's a lot of fear involved in that because you don't know how to hold a boundary and be intimate at the same time. So here is a quick little primer. First thing, <clears throat> I call it running into the open. You hide in the open um, or hiding in plain sight. And that means that instead of sharing with people who are a part of broken systems like ones you may have encountered earlier in your life, you actually get away from systems that will damage you. And as you go out into the world, you will find you need to look for people who can accept you who are not like that family. I have to say, um, one of the most powerful and successful means for people to find each other uh, is the very internet that exposes us to like internet bullying. We can go look for somebody who has been hurt the same way we have been. We can sort of open up to people that we haven't met yet because we find them online because we share common wounds and common discourse. So um, you can actually look online for people that you might, 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 not for sure, but might want to open up to. If you can't do that, I would suggest a 12-step group. Um, I've seen unbelievable, beautiful things happen to people who came from very hurtful systems and went to Al-Anon or whatever Anon and stayed for years. And, and I've been to meetings like that and they helped me. So I would strongly recommend that if that feels right to you, you go there and you sit back and you watch until you feel compelled to share. So find someone some group or some individual who makes you feel safe enough that you actually want to share. This is key because your instincts know whether sharing is going to be safe or not. And so sometimes they'll send you off if you have a really dysfunctional past, but sometimes, most of the time, they'll say if you want to open your heart to someone, it's probably a good idea to try it. But don't just blah, throw everything out there. Once you get, you are with people or a person that you want to share with, here's the next thing. So the first one is run into the open, find your group of people in the open. The second thing is the step, check, step method. And I believe I read about this in codependency literature by Melody Beatty, who's one of my favorite writers on boundaries and how to keep them. <clears throat> and she said, when you find someone you want to share with, you open up and you take one step, not 20, just one. Because part of the problem of being closed in is a tendency to want to sort of volcanically blurt everything. And then you're going to get hurt if somebody doesn't give you a, a perfect answer, or you'll just have so much embarrassment that you'll slink away somewhere. So you say something to this person or these people, you share a little bit, and then you sit back again and you watch. And if they are kind, if they are honest, if they are welcoming, if they seem to get it, then you'll want to share a little more. And you share a little tiny bit more, sit back, check. Step, check, step. One step at a time, not 20. 
Now, as you do this, sometimes you'll just, so what happens is, I, I think of it as a bullseye target, right? And this is how they, they taught my son with Down syndrome to keep strangers away from him. They put these kids with disabilities in the center of a big tarp that had, had a bullseye on it. And it had 10 rings and it was big. And then they would have the kids stand in the center and they'd have people walk one by one toward the kid. And when the kid felt icky about being too close to the person, they'd say, stop. And some people get, got stopped on the 10th ring, like way out. Some people made it all the way almost to the bullseye. But the important thing is that the child or the adult got to choose when to say stop. The step check step method tells you when to say stop, tells you when to stop sharing. So you can be vulnerable to a level five. They can come to the fifth ring, but they can't come to the third. And you'll start to have experiences where you open and their response is like, mm, that, that doesn't work. That's when you stop opening to them. But you can get a lot of sharing and a lot of compassion that way. And it's great to have people on your tarp, even if they're not in the bullseye. And then as you go through it the, throughout the world, stepping and checking and stepping, some people will turn out to be real winners. Like you'll want to let them in closer and closer, share more with them, share more with them, share more with them. And at some point, I deeply hope, even if it's going to your minister or your therapist or whoever, I hope you find someone with whom you can be completely honest, have no secrets. So I, I put a meme up on Instagram a few months ago and I got a lot of flack. And what it said, I don't know, maybe you were one of the ones who said, Martha, how can you say this? The meme said, you don't have to tell everyone everything about yourself, but you have to tell someone everything about yourself. And people thought I was being judgmental. Like, if you have a secret, you are bad. You have to go tell someone, like, go to your priest right now. That's not what I meant. I meant, if you don't have someone in the world who knows everything, or could know everything, and you know you'd still be accepted, you're still alone. You're still alone. So you need to keep stepping and checking and stepping until you find people who get you so deeply. They won't get everything. But as one of my daughters told me, she says, you get to the point where if somebody hurts your feelings, you say, ouch. And if they really love you, they say, oops. And you have an ouch, oops relationship and they can, they can learn you and you can learn them and you can share with each other. So <clears throat> you, I really do believe you have to be able to tell someone everything. And once you get there, um, an interesting thing happens. This is the, the test, and I've said this before. Check to see if you are invulnerable to blackmail. And that means that someone could tell the whole world the truth they know about you, and nobody who deeply loves you would be surprised. <laughs> like, they could say, like, I've had people come and say, I know for a fact that you were Mormon and then you weren't. And I'm like, yes, I wrote a book about that. So you can't scare me with that. <laughs> you know? I know for a fact you were sick as a dog. Yes, yes, or whatever. Um, I know for a fact you're gay. Yes, I've written about that. First thing I did when I realized I was gay, um, when I was in my 30s, by the way, was no secrets, no lies, tell everybody anything. You know, like I would share it with a few people. They seemed okay with it. And the first thing I said was, 
don't keep any secrets. Don't tell any lies on my account because I want to live in radical openness. I want to live in such a way. I've, I've chosen a life where my personal life is being shared with a lot of people. So as I, I truly believe you guys that if you knew everything about me, like pretty much anything, you would not be surprised. I would say, yes, you can, you can hear that. I don't think it's all interesting and I don't necessarily feel like sharing it indiscriminately, but I live blackmail proof as much as I possibly can. And that means the people closest to me know everything about me. So if somebody comes with a lot of information, nobody's going to be surprised. And that's how I keep, I try to stay vulnerable and also keep boundaries. And it's a constant, constant um, balancing act with the step, check, step and opening, closing, opening, closing, but you get better and better at it. You get calmer and calmer. You realize that the world is hard, but you're not going to be destroyed and life becomes much more relaxing. So thank you all for your comments. They're coming in. Hello, the lovely peoples. This is Marty, Martha, inviting you to a free masterclass that I have made called Five Paths to Your Purpose. Probably the most common question I get from people is, how do I find my purpose? Why don't I feel that I'm on purpose? Well, it turns out there are certain things you have to do to find your purpose, and I broke them down into five, and I made a little masterclass about it. So if you'd like to see it, just go to marthabeck.com slash purpose and you will be able to watch it without any charge at all. So Anne says, does attachment theory, where are my glasses, play into setting and holding boundaries? Oh yeah, I think it does. Um, if you have trouble forming attachments, it's very typical to try to attach very suddenly and excessively. Um, like I was afraid that Adam would grow up to be one of those people with intellectual disabilities who runs and hugs people indiscriminately because he was so desperate for love. That was what I'd seen growing up as a kid and going to institutions and seeing kids that were institutionalized. They were indiscriminate attachers. But then when I would try to attach to them, they would sometimes become almost violent. So there was something going on with their attachments and it was very, very exaggerated. The same thing can happen to us if we haven't had successful attachments in our own lives. We may yearn incredibly strongly for that attachment to someone. And we may invest a lover or a friend or a public figure or anybody with so much emotional baggage. Like that person is the one I want to attach to, even if it's not someone you've even met. And then when you try to attach and it doesn't work, you can get very, very upset because if you have an attachment disorder and someone appears to have betrayed you or re-wounded you, there's a lot of rage and, and sorrow that comes up. So yeah, if that's a pattern for you and you feel like you do have some attachment disorders, oh, I've been there. Um, this method is great and also get a therapist. It's, it's extremely helpful and I would not be here without that. Um, and then the same rules I'm talking about will work for you here, as long as you have that someone to share with. <clears throat> so Alora says, how do you get to the point where you can share so much in books you publish? Trying to do it with a creative project right now, and I'm terrified of sharing on social media. Is it just a ton of courage? Well, 
fools rush in where angels fear to tread, Alora. Um, I, both my memoirs I wrote first as fiction and I, it, it, on both occasions, my wonderful editor said, look, this is all your real experience. It's more powerful if you say it's real. And so I, basically I found that one person I trusted, my editor, and I didn't think anyone else would read it. <laughs> and I kept telling myself, no one else is going to read it. No one else is going to read it. And um, it was very shocking to me when people read Expecting Adam. And I went to my, to see my publisher in New York and people in the office had read it. I felt like that dream where you wake up stark naked in the middle of a, you know, formal meeting or something. And yet these people came and smiled at me and they hugged me and they were kind and they told me where they were from not just manhattan and <laughs> they told me things about their own lives and they started to share and i was like wait it's safe now the people i grew up with have told me that expecting adam is horrible 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 and is demonstrates that i am a horrible person okay um that's why i i'm not in close touch with a lot of them oh well because I've, I ran into the open and I found, and you will find this too, that when you run into the open and you start sharing with people discriminately, the world is full of loving, empathic, generous hearted human beings. You can find people to love who will love you back. And the best way to do it is to live your life from integrity. So you live so honestly that nobody can blackmail you and you are drawn to other people who are similarly honest. And you'll find that the more you live openly, the more people's secrets and lies kind of seem like, whoa. One thing I've noticed um, when I was seeing a lot of clients in years gone by is that people who are living secret lives, like they're having an affair or they're doing something illegal with at work, embezzling or whatever. I've even coached people who were convicted criminals. And it was really interesting to talk to them because they assumed that everyone lives a lie. And they couldn't tell the difference between someone who was lying and someone who was being honest. And they had no idea how obvious it was when they lied. And the more and more I tried to be real and open and vulnerable about my own story, the sooner I would step and then, whoa, the check would be like immediate. Like it was totally different energy. And so bit by bit, I found my way into the company of people I absolutely adore. But I did it the hard way by like closing my eyes, telling my whole story, jumping and letting the chips fell where they may. If you need love enough, I'm telling you it's worth it. And I think we all need love enough. So best of luck, Laura, just try it. You know, step check, step on social media, put out a little bit and then pull back, put out a little bit and then pull back. And it will take a ton of courage and it will be in the end the way you find true love and your real community so stephen says i like the step check step idea though as i saw this last year when i was betrayed by a sociopathic narcissist sometimes people appear trustworthy when they really aren't how do we let ourselves off the hook for being vulnerable when we later realize we shouldn't oh stephen everybody's singing my song this week yeah i've been there and sociopaths can lie flawlessly. And even after all that time, when I said people didn't realize how obvious it was when they lied, 
I got taken to the bank by a few psychopaths, or I think they were psychopaths, um, but they lied absolutely flawlessly. So I read some books on that, and one of them is called The Sociopath Next Door by um, Martha Stout. At, um, I think she's a Harvard psychologist. Anyway, <clears throat> what she writes is, it's impossible for a person with a conscience to imagine being a sociopath because a sociopath is born without a conscious conscience the way somebody born blind is born without eyesight. They, it's like not there at all. And so you can't really read them because they're fundamentally, I, perhaps even genetically different. Although I will say addiction can mimic sociopathy. It can make people so numb to their feelings that they can act like psychopaths and get away with it because they're so altered on some kind of chemical. And what Martha Stout says is, if you have found yourself in a relationship with a, socio a sociopath, it's like an airplane crash where they tell you, just get out alive. Don't worry that you left your laptop in there. Get out, don't leave your shoes. Just get out of the plane and rebuild your life. And don't ever blame yourself because you can't, it's just like, it's like you were hit by a meteor falling. Like there's a certain number, statistically a number of people who are going to be victimized by psychopaths. I will say that, around everyone I've seen, and I've coached a lot of people who ended up hurt by psychopaths. They're not that uncommon and they, they're very damaging. So people often need help afterward. But I will say there's something called slippage where you're, you're with someone or you're talking to someone and they say, you say, what are you doing? And they say, blah, 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 blah. And you think, that, that just, it doesn't quite wash. That's wrong. That doesn't, that's not the way it seems. And that will happen once, and then it will happen again, and then it will happen again, and then it will happen again, and then it will happen again. And if you ask them what's going on, you may get attacked. Um, you may, they may, you know, fly off the handle, they may disappear. And it just, it's not like an intimate open exchange. And so that's when you know, shut it down, shut it down. And Stephen, you and I, after having gone through, <laughs> I don't know what you went through, but I'm not going to tell you what I went through, this long, boring story. But um, once you've felt it, you've got sort of a radar image of it and you can feel the slippage and you know to start, like you don't just step, check, step, but you step and you check really carefully and you forgive yourself for getting caught. It's just like you got hit by a meteor. So Donna says, how do you know if your checking is valid or just paranoia over previous hurts? You check, you see if it works out. You say to your beloved, are you lying to me? Tell me, show me your, <laughs> show me like the email that you said you wrote. And if they are honest, they'll say, here it is. And you will have data, you'll have actual evidence that will show you, oh, that story checks out. And then, oh, I was being paranoid. Now, sometimes you'll err on the side of believing a psychopath and you'll get taken quite a ways down a painful road. And then you'll be jolted when it all, you know, blows up in your face. But by and large, the more you try the step check step method, the more you, times you go out there, the more accurate your read on people is gonna be. If you know you were raised in a sick system and that you are not given very good equipment for detecting lies, then it don't call it paranoia, but call it caution and go ahead and have it. Be very, very cautious. 
but keep reaching out because that's the way we find love and alone we do not do well so Hema says is this the same thing as being open about everything so no one can say negative things about you sort of like make fun of yourself first before anyone else can no absolutely not um being cruel to yourself so that other people's cruelty won't hurt as much is still cruel if somebody's cruel about you if they're gonna say bad things about you they're gonna you can't control that but you don't have to be with them as somebody I've once heard someone in a 12-step group say they can keep farting but you don't have to sit with them <laughs> I'm sorry that was gross but yeah if you're with people who are gonna make fun of you find other people that's not good do not start lacerating yourself so that it won't hurt as badly when they attack you that means you're in the wrong crowd get away okay finally Supriya says I am overly discerning with reason I have nearest and dearest that probably know most of my stuff but I've yet to find the one person I trust with everything I like having stuff that that's just mine I don't want to be completely accessible and hate and I hate feeling invaded is that weird no it's totally normal none of us is ever going to share absolutely every single detail with every, although some some social media feeds almost seem that way like I am now drinking a second sip of coffee posted on Instagram um no you don't have to share every it's nice to have things that are yours but there's here's how you know the difference I call it darks dark secrets and bright secrets if you have a bright secret like I found a wonderful book that I've been reading and I haven't told anyone about it I may never tell anyone about it oh it's called Circe it's awesome you should read it so I just told you but every night when I go to sleep I, I spend some time reading that book and it puts me to sleep and I love it and it's like a little bright secret that I get to listen to my book at the end of the day I don't really talk to anyone about it but it's not a dark secret in that if everyone knew the secret there I just told you my life isn't um damaged in the slightest if you have a dark secret if you have to end relationships because they may get too close to your secret or if you end up spinning lie after lie after lie what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive if you find yourself um, manipulating people and telling more and more lies hiding more and more things it's the opposite from the opening it closes you off and in the end you'll be very very isolated so keep bright secrets in your heart they make the whole world better but if you've got dark secrets find a therapist find a group find someone sympathetic parole officer I don't know find someone that you can share what's on your heavy on your heart because we can't help each other through this world if we don't talk to each other if we don't know each other so remember that bullseye thing remember the rules uh, run into the open step check step and then radical openness and being bl uh, blackmail proof it's just a handy dandy practical way to open up and be vulnerable and still stay safe stay safe and thank you guys for being a group that I show up with and tell everything to even though it's just out of the kindness of your hearts that you're even here in the first place I love you guys and I will see you on the next gathering room a week from this very moment Mwah, mwah, mwah. Have a wonderful week, you guys. Love you.
It's a bewildering moment to be alive. That's why Martha Beck, me, and Rowan Mangan, me, created Bewildered, the wildly successful podcast for people trying to figure it out. Most of us are trying to fit society's expectations about how we should live, which is stressful and confusing. On Bewildered, we look at topics like perfectionism, what it means to have enough, anxiety, and creativity to see where the culture may be pushing us all away from the lives that truly fulfill us. If you're bewildered, if you want to think and you love to laugh, come join us. Change, eh? Mm, It sure does keep happening. I feel like there's something that you, Martha Beck, have created that will help us understand how change affects us and how to manage it. Oh, by coincidence, now that you mention it, I have. It's called the change cycle. Mm. It's about four aspects of the whole process of change. And we've put the information together in one handy place so that the people can refer to it when they're going through change. And you know what else? We also made podcast episodes about each of the four squares in the cycle that are also on this new page that we've made for the peoples. Well, how remarkable is that? All right. You can find out all about the change cycle at marthabeck.com slash change.